Father, it has been so good to pray together and worship you together in song, lift up our voices to praise you, because you are so good and so faithful, so glorious, beyond our comprehension. And you have spoken to us, you have given us your word, and you've told us that it is living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and that it cuts right down to the heart of the matter, that it reveals us, that it reveals you, your will. So Lord, we just ask that you would help us to receive your word, help us to submit to it as individuals who make up the church, and therefore as the church. Please help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This is really exciting. I love what we're doing with the book of Acts, that we're coming to it, submitting ourselves to what we find here, to what God has said here. It's so tempting to come to a study like this with already in mind what we want to find in there, what we think is in there, and then just find the scriptures that support that. It would be so easy for me to preach to you a sermon series, which is basically my agenda for things I'd like to see happen and find some supporting scriptures from Acts. But when you do what we're doing, and you just really try to give yourselves over to the what we're calling shaping themes that are in here, you don't really know for sure what's going to be next. You find out as you go. And I can tell you that when I, when we prayerfully made this decision that we were going to study Acts in this way, I didn't anticipate preaching a sermon on signs and wonders as a shaping theme for how to be Christians together. So I'm, I'm very excited by this. I don't know, your faces don't maybe look as excited as, as mine feels. My face never looks as excited as I feel. If I could sum up what we've seen so far as we've been looking at these shaping themes in one sentence, I would put it that being the church together involves obeying our risen and authoritative Savior together by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've seen so far. That doesn't say everything there is to say about being the church together, but that's what we've seen so far as we've been pulling out these shaping themes. And this Sunday, we add this theme of signs and wonders. I don't know what the Lord may do during this sermon as we think about signs and wonders. One Bible Bible dictionary defines signs and wonders scripturally as events which unmistakably involve the immediate and powerful action of God. Events which unmistakably involve the immediate and powerful action of God. Signs and wonders, these two words are just about synonymous and they're almost always seen together through scripture in both the Old and New Testament. They come as a pair. They do have shades of meaning that are a little different. Signs tend to refer to pointers, pointing people to God so that they see God's fingerprints on an individual or an event or a message. Wonders tends to refer to the display of God's supernatural activity. So wonders make people wonder. They make people marvel. Signs identify the work of God so that people see it as the work of God. 
So it could be miraculous healings, the casting out of demons. We saw a lot of this as we've been studying Mark. It could be speaking in tongues, which we've been beginning to see here in the book of Acts. Any kind of work of power that is unmistakably attributable to God and that makes people just stand back in awe and wonder at his glory. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, it's unmistakable that this is our heritage as the church. It's all through the history of the beginning of the church, signs and wonders, wonders and signs. So what I want to present to you this morning are just three things that we see in the book of Acts about signs and wonders. Trusting that as we study these together, God is shaping us to be his people. The first thing that we see, signs and wonders accompanied gospel proclamation. That's kind of a mouthful. I'll say it again, and I'll say it in a different way. Signs and wonders accompanied gospel proclamation. In other words, when you see signs and wonders in Acts, somebody is sharing the gospel nearby. Somebody is telling people, proclaiming, preaching, explaining, arguing for people to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And that's where the signs and wonders typically take place in the book of Acts. Our first passage we'll look at is Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. This is right after the Holy Spirit has come down in power upon the apostles, all those who were gathered together, and they went out speaking about the great and wondrous works of God in foreign tongues, languages that they didn't know, but that the people around them understood from all over the world. Now, Peter here in this passage is explaining to the Jews what is happening. And in order to explain it, he's pointing to an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Joel, and he's quoting it. And it begins in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here this quote, pointing to the last days, makes clear that these last days that are associated with the fact that everybody who would call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, would be saved, will be characterized by signs and wonders. And then he goes on in the verse 22. This now is Peter speaking. He's not quoting anymore. He's just speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So here we see Peter looking back on the ministry of Jesus, signs and wonders. And you remember Jesus' signs and wonders, many of his miracles, things that he did. 
And he says to the Jews, you know what happened. You know what God the Father did through God the Son, Jesus Christ, in order to attest him to you. And that's not a word that we use a lot, but it means in order to to point him out to you and validate that he is the Messiah. To authenticate that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God did signs and wonders through him. And that's a central part of the gospel message to the Jews here as Peter begins to preach. He was validated, he was authenticated. The signs and wonders were never an end in of themselves. They were never meant for the people like a fireworks show. They were never meant to just entertain or dazzle. They were always pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, validating it and authenticating it. Now, let's go to another passage, Acts chapter 3. This is a bit of a story of how signs and wonders presented themselves in the early church. Peter and John says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried. So this man had been unable to use his legs from birth. It wasn't a recent accident, and he was healing. He had never been able to use his legs as a baby, as a child, as a young man, as an adult man. Everybody in the community knew this man was lame. He was unable to walk. This man, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Immediately. Now, if if you did have an injury that caused you to have to stay off your legs for a period of, let's say, a month, you can imagine how your muscles would atrophy. You can imagine how difficult it would be to get up and walk. Some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you have experienced it. But that's not what happened. It wasn't that they got him up and they started physical therapy with him and it started working. And praise God, immediately, he'd never used those legs. But he hopped up. And he didn't just get up, it says in verse 8, and leaping, he stood up. Some of us, we can't leap, and we've never been lame. Leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter and John, it goes on to say that they, they raised funds, they crowdsourced, and they set up the Peter and John healing shack where people could bring their lame, and for whatever they could afford, they weren't price gouging, whatever people could pay them, they would heal them so people could start walking again. And that's how they made their living until they retired comfortably. They had this great new skill, and so they maximized it. And it was a great ministry to people. No, they didn't. It wasn't about the healing. Immediately, they pivot to the gospel. 
They've got everybody's attention with the signs and the wonders. And immediately, they take people's heads and turn it to look at Jesus Christ. As it continues in verse 11, while he, the the man who had just been healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So here we see a a living example of how these signs and wonders worked themselves out in the early church. They were explosive. They got everybody's attention. And they all looked at Peter and John, and they said, don't look at us, look at Jesus Christ. That was the place that signs and wonders held in the early church. They authenticated the gospel, they validated the gospel preachers, and they woke people up to the gospel. This is the way it was for the apostles. This is not just how it was for the apostles either. It was also this way for the men who were called to serve the tables uh, the sort of the prototypes of our current deacon ministry. I'll read to you briefly Stephen's experience. He's one of these men chosen to serve tables in Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, And of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So here's Stephen. He was not one of the original apostles, but he is speaking with wisdom about, we can assume from the message that we read after this, the gospel. And he is authenticated with signs and wonders. And then a little later on, Philip, another one of these Deacon prototypes in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. Now those who were scattered, this is after persecution arose, after Stephen had been martyred, this church scattered, including Philip. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I'll give you one more example. This is back to the apostles, including now Paul. In Acts chapter 14, Verses 1 through 3, Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, 
and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So these signs and wonders, they attest to Jesus Christ. They point to him and validate him and authenticate him. They back up the apostles in their message of the gospel, getting people's attention, proving to be true what they said. And here it phrases it, the Lord granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands in order to bear witness to the word of his grace. Now the big question for us, is that still part of the ministry of the church? Is there still any place for signs and wonders in the ministry of the church? And you have people across the spectrum of opinion about it. You have some who are, I would say, completely unhinged, look for signs and wonders in everything. In a burnt tortilla, they see the face of Jesus, and it's a sign, it's a wonder. And then you have people on the other end of the spectrum, which is where... I come from. I grew up in a theological tradition that said that anything like this ceased with the age of the apostles. It was necessary during that time to get the ball rolling, but now we have the Word of God canonized in Scripture. We have the power of the gospel. We have the power of the Word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but working in unseen ways in hearts of people through these tools. Now, that's how, that's how I grew up, and many of the theologian that I, theologians that I really respect and read from, that's what they hold. There are also other theologians that I respect and read and have learned much from who hold a position that say that, no, these sorts of things are still valid. They are still part of the church. They wax and wane through the course of, of salvation history, and they're, they're most prevalent when Jesus is on earth, and they're most prevalent when the apostles are first proclaiming the gospel message, but they are still present. Now, I wonder what you think. I haven't talked about this with many of you individually. I don't reside here anymore where I grew up. I've been humbled from this position that is fully what's called cessationist. It says that it's over. There are no more signs and wonders. I'm definitely not all the way over here. Basically what I am is I'm very humbled by all this. Often when you study Scripture, you bump up against what can only be called mystery. There's something mysterious about these things. Some things I know, I believe to be true, is that we look back at our heritage here and we should be encouraged and emboldened to proclaim the gospel, remembering that God has done great things in support of gospel proclamation. And that's our heritage. So we can look in the past and be encouraged of what has happened. We can proclaim the gospel boldly in the present, encouraged by that. And I think that we can hope for signs and wonders in the future as we proclaim the gospel boldly. I can tell you that if there are signs and wonders, if they do happen, they will be happening where the gospel is being proclaimed. That's where you'll find them. And I have to say, from talking to more Christians who've experienced more things, particularly on the mission field, 
which I've barely been on in terms of foreign missions to unreached people groups, it does seem to still happen. I think it happens maybe more often than we realize and we, we overlook and we forget. I don't know why we would forget signs and wonders, but I think that we do tend to. It's kind of like road signs. You, know, you don't remember the road signs. You, remember, you get to your destination. In fact, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, especially this week in preparation for this sermon. And it wasn't until this morning in my study as I was praying through it that I remembered a story that a good friend of mine told me. This is a friend that grew up in the same theological tradition as I did. He went on a mission trip to unreached tribes in Africa. It was a, it was crazy. He got hooked up with this group and they flew this group. They did some training and they flew them in and they dropped them off. And they said, we'll be praying for you. And, and so they, they went in and they, they had, I don't, I can't remember if they even had a way of communicating in the language of these people. But they tried through visuals, they tried through every way they could to just explain the gospel to these people who had never heard of it, never heard of Jesus Christ. And in one of these villages, it was evident that they had been in a long drought for a long time, and so these these Christian people from around here, from New Salem, where I grew up, prayed with them for rain, among other things, especially that they would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they started their march back to their camp, and they looked back in a rain cloud was over that area where they just were. Now, maybe it was a hallucination. Maybe it was an exagger- Maybe it was a series of exaggerations that the, by the time it got to me, it was a little bit beyond the reality. But, but why not? Surely God could do that. Surely God still is motivated to authenticate the gospel now as he was back then. I've just been so humbled by this. It's been such a powerful reminder to me that God is at work among us. It's not just us and what we can accomplish by our natural means. God is at work. God is at work. God, the creator of everything, the one who created you and created me, he is at work. So often in the American church, and I'm mainly preaching to myself here, we just settle for what we can understand and bring about by our own natural human efforts. But God is at work, especially where the gospel is being proclaimed. God is at work. I think one of the reasons why many of us are so terrified to open our mouths to proclaim Jesus Christ to people that we know are antagonistic toward Christ and Christianity and Christians and who don't believe is because we think it's up to us to just argue persuasively enough. And it, we do want to argue persuasively. We want to do our best. But we've got to remember it's not all up to us to make the supernatural happen. And if anybody does come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is a miracle. That in and of itself is sort of a sign and wonder. Overcoming our flesh, overcoming our spiritual deadness, bringing people to life in Christ. We must remember that God is at work among us. It's not just us. Especially where the gospel is being boldly proclaimed. So I believe signs and wonders are still possible. I have to confess I've I've not seen them personally. But then again, I haven't been out among tribes of unreached people in Africa 
with just myself and my Bible and my, the gospel to see what maybe he would do and is doing. So the first thing we see is that signs and wonders accompanied gospel proclamation. Second thing, we see that signs and wonders resulted in gospel fear. Fear. For this, let's look back at Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42. This is this beautiful paragraph describing the portrait of the, the early church as it began. We draw a lot from this paragraph. We want to emulate this. But we tend to kind of leave out part of this. I'll start at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now that word all there in verse 43 could be translated fear. Fear came upon every soul. And signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. In fact, the word wonders comes from a Greek root, the same Greek root word that we get our word for terror. There's something frightening about coming into contact with God and the work of God. I have a story to share with you about this. This is in Acts chapter 5. The story of Ananias and Sapphira or Sapphira. In the early church, everybody shared their possessions. Many people sold everything they had so that they could share, make sure no one had any needs. But then here comes Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So here Ananias is doing something that looks great. It looks great to everyone present, but he forgot one thing. The church isn't just the organization of things people are doing. God himself is present, and he knows our hearts. And so he wasn't just lying to men. He was lying to God himself. He's lying to the Holy Spirit. And in being confronted... He dropped dead. Then his wife comes in. In verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? You're not just testing me. You're not just testing the finance committee. You're testing the Spirit of the Lord. Did you forget that God is present here? God is at work among us. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
And great fear came upon the church, the whole church, and upon all who heard of these things. So we have this tendency to look back and act, and we want to emulate so much of what we see, but we tend to pick the parts that, that are going to look the best on our church website. It's interesting that the flow of thought goes right from this story of God's fearsome presence and holiness into more talk about signs and wonders. Verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Man, a lot of that sounds great, but what about that fear part? What about that terror part? What about that part where people held them in high esteem, but they wouldn't even dare to go and be a part of that? Now, again, is that still meant to be any part of the church's experience? In chapter 9, verse 31, there's another beautiful description of the church, and we like so much of it. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. I had another story I was going to share about the sons of Sceva. Maybe you've heard of that. I'm not going to read it because I've read a lot already and I don't want to weary you. There's another incident where God's power is unleashed and it scares everybody. Everybody is in, in awe and wonder and reverent fear. Now, is that still meant to be a part of the church? Is the power of God meant to be so evident among us that it's, that, that visitors should not perhaps only feel welcomed and embraced and loved, which they should, but should they also perhaps feel some sense of trepidation? That we are dealing with God here and not just nice religious people? Where there is no fear, it probably means there is no power of God present. And where there is no power of God present, it probably means there is no proclamation of the gospel present. Signs and wonders accompanied gospel proclamation. Signs and wonders resulted in gospel fear. And then the last point, in the last passage, the church prayed for signs and wonders. And for this we'll look at Acts chapter 4. So after Peter and John healed that lame man, Everybody was all excited about it, except for the Jewish religious establishment. They were threatened by it. And so they arrested them and questioned them and told them, stop it. And when they released them, they went and joined up with their brothers and sisters. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it records how they reacted and what they prayed for. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay, now if you if you glossed over there, we get the picture they have a very big understanding of God. Now in verse 29, we get more to the prayer that's applicable for what we're talking about. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here again, we see the connection. Where there are signs and wonders, there's gospel proclamation. They're just there as support for gospel proclamation. Now, how should this shape us? What I, I was talking with, with Jeff Walsh this week. I was curious, his perspective as director of world outreach, having a more global perspective of the church, not only seeing the Midland sector of the kingdom of God, like I tend to, but the whole world kingdom of God. I wonder what his perspective was, and we talked about it, and he said, well, how is this coming together as a shaping theme for the church? I said, I don't know yet. <laughs> how should this shape us? For one, I can say we shouldn't start with signs and wonders. We shouldn't start saying, well, they did signs and wonders and acts. God's still powerful. Let's just start praying for signs and wonders. God, move all these fake plants over there right in front of us and authenticate yourself, show yourself to be true. Let me just levitate for a few minutes and that will prove to them that I'm the guy that you called to be their pastor. Now, we we definitely don't just start demanding signs and wonders. The Bible made very clear Jesus did not have patience for people who were just there to see signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are never a thing in of themselves. They only and always point to God and the gospel. No, I think the place to start, as I have studied this theme, is with gospel proclamation. I don't know if God will choose to do any signs and wonders among us. I know that he can. I certainly know that he has. And I've heard stories that he still does. I've seen him do things that I can only attribute to him, but they're not the kind of things like a lame man walking. But what I do know is that he wants the good news of Jesus Christ boldly proclaimed. So I think we start there. With gospel proclamation comes God's power. And with God's power comes this fear, this reverence. So my prayer from this is that we'll be a people given to boldly proclaiming, sharing, and explaining, and speaking the good news of Jesus Christ that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that we will see God act in great power to authenticate that message and validate it, and that we would stand in awe of him and what we see happen. And the way I'd like to conclude the sermon is for us just to pray just that. And I want to ask you to pray that. If you're here and you're a Christian... You've been entrusted with this message of good news for a spiritually dying world. 
And it's, it's scary and it's difficult and there's great opposition to us boldly proclaiming it. And I, I speak to you from a place of conviction of times and ways that I have shrinked back from opportunities where I could have boldly spoken the truth in humility and in love, but boldly and with courage. I had a time very, very recently, while this was fresh in my mind, when I knew I was in the presence of some people who were who did not believe this and did not want to hear about it. And I knew that I was there and that I would need to be ready if an opportunity came, and I, and I was scared. You know that feeling and your heart's beating and you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to need to speak up? And what, I'm not even going to know what to say. I'm going to make a fool out of myself. I'm going to make a fool out of the church. I'm going to make a fool out of God. But I remembered these things. I remembered, well, it's not just me at work here, thankfully. Where the gospel is proclaimed, God's power is at work. So I can just trust him. If, he, if he's going to open that door, I'm going to trust him to give me the words to say. And then I'm just going to say them. I'm just going to just say them. I'm not going to try to make something happen. I'm not going to try to convict them of their sin. I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit. I know that God works powerfully where his gospel is proclaimed. He may not choose right now to change their hearts and bring them to salvation. I don't know. I'm just going to be willing to do my part. You see how it already is strengthening. So we'll conclude the sermon in prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray for this boldness, for yourselves and for our church, for the greater church. And after we pray, we'll recognize our officers for this year. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for recording this history and your divinely inspired words. And thank you for humbling us in just reading about what you have done way back in the past, much less what you are doing right now among us. You are a God of wonders. You're a God who surpasses our ability to fully understand you. And we confess and acknowledge together that you are a God of power and glory and that you can do whatever you choose to do. And you are not constrained by any weakness. And you have charged us and called us to be ambassadors for your kingdom in this world. And we are constrained by weakness, and we are frail and feeble, and we are often afraid of the wrong things. So we ask now, like your church in Acts chapter 4, we just pray that you would give us boldness, Please give us boldness to speak the truth about Jesus Christ in this world. Give us boldness, give us opportunity. And in the moment when we're nervous, our minds are scrambling for the words, we pray that you would give us the words to say. Give us clear heads, steady hearts. Or may we be bold witnesses for Jesus. And we ask that you would authenticate your message through your power any way you see fit. Thank you for how you've been at work among us. And we're excited to see what you'll do among us as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.